0: There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now here are your hosts, Kim Foskey and Dr.
1: Dana Saperstein. I'm
2: so happy today that we have a third person in the room to co-host with us. Uh, With my voice sounding the way it is, I don't have to uh, at least speak 30 of the 60 minutes of this episode. (laughs) And probably the listeners will be happy about that as well. <laughs> so, uh, this episode, we welcome back co-hostess Justine Hamilton. Justine, Hello. welcome back. Thank you. Th- thank you for being here. As uh, we continue our uh, our series on relationships, we, Dean and I thought it was important not to just be two guys with unisex names, but actually have female presence in the room. Thank
1: for, you very for, much for this con-
2: <laughs> for this conversation. And you know, it's probably the maybe the most important conversation we're having in terms of this relationship series, because we're going to talk about communication today. And boy, who would know that that's the context of a successful relationship?
0: Well, especially because, you know, you and I are both men and we're conceivably not capable of such a thing as <laughs> communication, so uh, uh, we figured we would get I'm going to talk the in whole sixty minutes. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> An expert on a communication.
2: So we've had we've had a, a, a few guests already on, or a few couples already on um, that have either episodes have played already or will soon play that have basically told us that one of the keys to their successful long term relationship has been communication. And we're not talking about that one concedes that one's right and the other concedes that one's wrong, but that they can actively uh, communicate on a, on a regular basis with each other and, and understand each other. So, Dana, I'm going to let you uh, start this conversation out as as the psychologist in the room and, and somebody that's still practicing and somebody that sees couples on a weekly basis and and, and what the general issue is when couples come to see you?
0: Well, I think there's not one general issue, but I think that there's a few. Uh, One of them being uh, listening, which I know uh, might be the first uh, uh, important thing that is a bit surprising to people. But what I notice is that most people don't listen to each other. That uh, it's really common to formulate your response to your partner before they're halfway done explaining what they have to say. And obviously, if you're doing that, you're not listening to what the person has to say. Guilty. Guilty.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But but does that happen does that happen later on when you become just familiar with the other person and comfortable with the other person or I'm tired of hearing the other person? Or does that start early on in relationships?
0: Well, my experience is that it is a it's a reaction of being afraid. It's a fear reaction of either feeling like you're being judged or told that you're wrong or that somehow uh, that it's your fault. And so the natural thing is to want to defend yourself.
2: Way to tie that back to the Fear Me Out podcast. <laughs> yes, <Then. laughs>
0: yes. Um, and I'm, I am I really believe that listening is a form of expressing your love towards somebody that you care about. Because my experience is that most people feel like nobody really listens to them and nobody really cares about what they have to say. And it makes them feel lonely and it, and makes them feel like they really don't matter as much as they would like. And that's not a good recipe for a relationship. Moving forward, with anybody, but especially with your, uh, with your spouse.
2: So when you talk about fear in, in speaking to your partner, yeah. are you talking about people walking on eggshells and in 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 terms of what they can or can't say to their partner, with based yeah. on the judgment that they'll get back or well, the I anger th- that they'll get back, or
0: I think it happens a lot that that we're afraid to tell the truth.
1: I think it also becomes a pattern, oh. and you just sort of do this, and then it becomes a habit, and it's just easier sometimes not to say what you want to say. But then you know it comes out that down the road you have all these things in your head that your partner doesn't know about, and then then the blame comes in, and then you start blaming them for not understanding you, and you know it just becomes this vicious cycle. isn't the blame, isn't the
2: blame game popular now though, in society. Um, I, I could be really
0: mean and say only if you're a Republican victim, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> so. Sorry, Justine. I just yeah. <laughs> that's uh, not well. Nice I mean, it,
2: I, I mean, I was being facetious, obviously, but but you, again, you I do. think I, I think the blame game has always been there, right? It's always yeah, it's, it's always easy. finger pointing. It's so it's easy. Not my fault, right? Yeah.
0: Well, I, I mean, again, if you think about it, my job is easy because we're not talking about me, and um, then I'm not going to get defensive, and I'm not going to feel like I have to to prove my point or somehow uh, make sure that the other person uh, sees that I'm right about what I'm saying. But when you're in a relationship with someone and you want to be connected to them, it's really scary to be intimate in that way and really listen to somebody and try to do the best you can to understand what they want from you without feeling like you're being told that you're a bad person.
1: Or they would use it against you in the future where, you know, you are really being vulnerable and expressing your feelings and you're like, oh gosh, maybe they understand, but then they're going to throw that back in my face. And, you well, know, that you, makes it super dangerous. Right. You think right. about that and well, then who you, know, you would don't want, want to say anything, anything.
0: if they're afraid that's going to be used as a weapon against right. them. Sure. Right. Um, so, the, I mean, the, the first thing is listening, but the other part of it that I think is super important is being brave enough to tell the truth in a kind way.
2: So l- let me let me go back to listening, because okay. I think that's important. Okay. And I, I don't want to use the cliche active listening, but it's, it's, it's listening objectively without judgment. It's listening without interrupting, right? It's listening without problem solving. Right. All, all those things, are just taking it in and listening to what your partner is saying before you have a response.
0: Which is probably the most difficult thing, because, again, as soon as you start to feel like you're being criticized or attacked or made to feel like whatever's happening is your fault, you're going to stop listening.
1: You want, and you want to respond.
2: Or, or as a dude, you want to fix the problem right away. Right? Yes, that is a, I mean, again, it's uh, like, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear, I'll just fix the problem. Right. I and, can't, I'm sorry. Please no, go it ahead.
1: goes, and it goes both ways. Um, you know, I think sort of in my relationship, my husband is more verbal than I am. Um, But I, I listen probably a little bit better than he does, but he, I don't feel like he's always necessarily, I've got to fix this. I think I might be one that is a little bit more, okay, let me fix this. It's just sort of my nature is, I don't know, whatever I am, a female, you know, who's born and raised to sort of help people. Um, So I think it kind of goes both ways. I also think it's sort of based on, you know, how you were raised, right? Um, what you do personally, professionally, my husband's been an entrepreneur and solo his whole entire career where I've managed people and it was all about communication. So my natural communication style is I'm going to tell you everything, maybe more than you need to know, but I want you to be included. I want you to know where his is like, he keeps everything in his head because he's for, you know, 30 years or whatever. He hasn't really had to tell people what the thing is. So it's not even necessarily just sort of a defensive thing. It's just kind of just a habit of how, how you communicate. So there's so many nuances, I think, that go along with communication. Male, female, background, parents, history, being afraid, being the most important.
2: Sure. Being, being a nagger and a complainer.
0: Well, I, I think about my parents and how they communicated. Um, my father constantly told my mom how stupid she was. And my mom constantly told my dad that he was a fat pig. And that's what I got to watch every wow, day. so yeah. nice. Yeah, they were really nice to each other. <laughs> and so I used to think to myself, I don't think these people really like each other. Yeah.
2: Because they were so insulting. I was going to say, I think we did an episode on codependency. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, my mom figured that as long as my dad felt bad about himself, he wouldn't leave.
1: Well, they were communicating. <laughs> yeah, so they were communicating. Of
2: course,
0: my mom went to the store to buy the food that my father couldn't resist to keep him fat. Yeah. So it was all, you know, a big mess. Uh, but as children, I know that my brother and my sister, and I never felt like that anything we had to say was of value. And nobody wanted to listen to, uh, to us at all. So um, I wasn't brought up with any kind of communication. Right. Other than insulting the people that you conceivably love.
2: Well, so then how did it work for you? So if you don't, if you don't have a baseline, if you're not raised with, with parents that have good communication skills, not only amongst themselves, but with the, the children in the family. So when you meet somebody and have a relationship with them, how, how do you know how to communicate? How, when you met Susan, how did you know how to communicate with
0: her? Well, when I met her, I had already been in therapy for a long time. So I had already been helped by two or three therapists. Um, to learn how to express myself and how to be in touch with my feelings and how to um, present them um, to another person. Otherwise, it would have been a disaster. Yeah. For sure. You don't know. Yeah. And and part of what I, when Susan and I decided we were going to stay together, I actually asked her if she would be willing to go to therapy because in her family, the only thing that you were allowed to communicate was uh, pretending like everything was okay. Mm-hmm. It was a very typical English family where you don't talk about how you feel. Yep. And everybody does things exactly the same way. And you do not deviate from even sitting at the table using your knife and fork. Yeah. You know, the same. I remember going to her family the first time and I was like, wow, these people are actually civilized. Because in my family, if you got the food in your mouth, that's all that mattered. So <laughs> um, so luckily she was willing to uh, entertain the notion that maybe she needed to learn how to express herself more yeah. fully. And uh, it made a huge difference in our relationship that we both got the help that we needed in order to uh, learn how important it is to just, you know, express how you feel.
2: Justine, how about you? I mean, were you raised with a family that communicated well?
1: No. Um, In how I was raised, and it's still to this day, with my dad, and I was just back home last weekend, so I got to witness it all. Again, it was very fresh. With my dad, it's it's always sort of been his way or the highway. And my sweet stepmom that he was married to for 45 years just did whatever he said. So that's kind of what I saw and I think in my life I rebelled against that where it was like, no, 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 I'm the one that's going to be in charge here and it's going to be my way or the highway and I've, you know, later on through therapy and getting older and understanding and trying to be a little bit more graceful in life that that's not the way we do it. But I was just home last weekend and I have um, two brothers and a sister that are all back there and you know, there, there was stuff happening in the family, and I was just like, oh, my God, you guys don't talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Like, they still, everyone gets along, but they don't talk about anything. And, you know, you don't go deep.
2: It's probably why they get along.
1: It is why they <laughs> yeah. get along, because they're not talking about ever, about anything. and um, And it's changing a little bit. And that's great. I mean, I have like my nieces and nephews are getting older now and they kind of understand this isn't the way it should be. And I also feel like sort of, you know, as kids, I think it might be maybe generational where you didn't speak. Like you did what your parents said and then that was it. You didn't get to communicate a lot. Um, And if you did, it was just, you know, your dad yelling at you for the most part. So I was kind of raised probably similar to your wife where like, we just didn't talk, we just didn't talk about anything.
2: So, so how did it work for you? How did it more for evolve for you as you got into relationships and got married and was it trial by fire or?
1: Um, I am still a work in progress for sure. And I just, I've just, I think you get older and you do the work and it's like, okay, no, this isn't, you know, this, this isn't just about me. And, um, I can't just come in here storming in the room and, you know, telling people what they need to do. So, I've just I've had to learn. And that's, you know, that's my work. And and honestly, like having kids, that's been a big change for me because kids don't they they don't care. No, <laughs> and they no, no, are No, it is
2: all about them. <laughs>
1: it is all about them and and you can't make them be what you want them oh. to be. And I learned that my son, who is very different than me, he is my biggest teacher in life because he is a free spirit. His personality is completely different than mine. And every day he teaches me like, this isn't, this isn't your world. This is our world. And we all need to coexist here together. Um, I can still, I still am pretty bossy. So I, you know, I try to think about that, but Behind the bossiness, I, is really, I'm trying to help. And so sometimes I can come across a little bit direct. So is,
2: yeah, so is the bossiness part of your personality? Totally. Or Oh, okay. So it's it not is. just like I'm the mother role and the wife role, so I'm going to play the head of the household role, but that's part of your personality. It's part
1: of my personality. Okay. And it's not a role I always want, but it's, it's kind of the role that I have. And, you know, sometimes you're like, I am sick of being bad cop. I think mm-hmm. a lot of parents, it's, you know, good cop, bad mm-hmm. bad cop, and depends on the family, but it kind of goes back and forth on who's who. And that role gets really tiring because you feel like you're carrying a lot of the burden, and it's not fun being bad cop and, you know, telling people what they have to do all the time. So it's just, you know, it's just learning to be a little softer, and find like balance the feminine and the masculine energy and um just be just being more open-hearted but that's come through doing my own work otherwise you know my dad is 77 sorry dad if you're listening because I I know you will be (laughs) I love you I he can't say I love you either. 77, 77 years young yeah but he's still you know he's still the same person because there hasn't been any therapy and you know we've we Actually, he and I have had some sort of changes around communication and what that looks like, and he's he's trying to understand, and I give him a lot of props for that because at seventy seven, he can do whatever he wants, right?
2: Teaching an old dog new tricks, right, right, right.
1: So it's um, yeah, it's just a continuous work in prod and progress for me, being a little too communicative and also not. Whereas, like, mm, well, I'm you know, I am the mom and like this person goes ahead of me and like my kids and da, 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 where I might not always be communicating what my needs are. And I've had to do that more. You know, also, you know, you're raised like, I can take care of this. I've got this. I got this. So, so if you've got that, who's taking care of you? And I've had to work on that where I've had to be more vulnerable and express my feelings and what I want. And it's, it's, you know, it's important and it's hard.
2: And you have a husband and how has he responded to that?
1: To me telling him, yeah, like yeah. expressing my feelings.
2: Yeah, expressing your feelings and, and being morphing through, I guess, out throughout your relationship. Through.
1: Yeah, um, he's he's supportive. You know, we have a great marriage. I love him. He loves me. Um, we'll be together till the end of time. But it's, you know, it's new where like I can come across too strong and I know I can. And that's hard for someone where he's, you know, he's, he, he doesn't, you know, he's not as direct as I am. He's a little softer.
2: So, but will he respond to you saying, Hey, Justine, you're, you're, that was either hurtful or you're coming off too strong. Do you have that type of relationship? We
1: do when we're being mindful. There are also times where I can, you know, say something and his immediate reaction is defensiveness. Whereas like, this is nothing about me, you know, coming down on his character at all. But his, you know, as we all do, we become defensive and he thinks I'm giving him like a direct, where it's like, no, no, this is not about you. This is about something else. So please don't be so defensive, but we're all defensive. It's just human nature. So it's just it's balancing all of that, you know, and it's it's a dance, and it's not always pretty. We've we've come over we've gone from like square dancing to the waltz, I guess, but it's you know we we're we're working on it.
2: I think the waltz is a good place. Yeah, to well, be right, it's beautiful. Well, I and... tripped a few times. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> you
1: know, he bent me over too far. <laughs>
2: Well, I, th- I think that's a good progression, though, Yeah, going from square dancing to waltzing. Yeah, so.
1: but it's been through therapy and just being mindful and understanding where this comes from. Like, if you don't understand where these patterns lie or where they come from, you can't fix them. And you can't understand it unless you do the work of really trying to figure it out. And I think, you know, that's... So many people don't because it's so easy just to continue the way we are. We
2: we'll could just end the conversation right there. If you don't do the work, it's not going to matter. Yeah. Well,
1: right? <laughs> sure. Podcast.
2: So, Dana, you, you, we, we mentioned listening. What's the next?
0: Well, stuff? I think the next thing is being brave enough to be vulnerable, and uh, as I was saying before, we're all experts at each other. That's what makes again my job easy because we're not talking about me. But whenever people come to see me, I always ask them to switch the focus from. The other person to themselves because you don't have control over the other people in your life. We barely have control over ourselves. So <laughs> I figured let's start with the, uh, the, the relationship that you're most likely to influence. And that's the one that you have with yourself. Right. So I, what I ask people to consider is that, um, uh, the more you become an expert on yourself, the easier it is to understand why people might take issue with you in the way that you live in relationship to them. um, um I know that sometimes I can be a little bit self-righteous because uh, when I get angry, I become super clear in my thoughts. Whereas other people, when they get angry, they, it, it overwhelms them and they can't think for it very clearly. So I know I have a very clear advantage the more upset I get. And that's not fair to the person that I love who's not cut from the same cloth as far as that goes. So part of what I, um, I know I'm getting a bit off the subject, but part of what I want people to understand is that your genetic approach to communication and problem solving i mean it's a genetic thing so most of the time we get involved with people that are the opposite of us so for me if i got something that i need to take care of i cannot sit still till i take care of it whether it's communicating something or or whatever it might be it drives me crazy to have to hold back mm-hmm. whereas the person that i'm married to sometimes needs a little bit of time to process whatever it is that's happening and to be sort of, I don't know, bullied into submission is the right word, but to be, you know, for me to insist that she stay and deal with the situation yeah. in that moment is actually disrespectful to her because she needs time to process the information. And I think instinctually we get to involve with people that are our opposite. Because if two people are really intense, then it's explosive. And if two people are need a lot of time to process before they deal with something, then the relationship dies on the vine.
2: Right. So you you mentioned a word that is difficult for a lot of people to do vulnerability. Yes, right. Um, so how how because it it involves fear, absolutely, and exposure, and exposure. Uh huh. So how do people become more vulnerable?
0: Um, the way that I help people become more vulnerable is to help them deal with their trauma, if that's what's getting in the way. Because most of our energy, if we've had trauma or have come from difficult situations that you might not even consider to be traumatic, that absorbs most of the energy that you have just to manage those feelings. So once you get a handle on those things and you heal them, then it makes you ultimately much more capable of having a close relationship with the people in your life. But things don't get easier. They get scarier at that point. Because then you got to show up and really have to let people know you. And so part of what I ask people to consider is that the big problems in relationships have to do with externalizing the problems to the other person or to the world in some way.
2: So then then that scares the other person, right? Because they've never seen your vulnerability before or at least to that extreme. Yes. So now this person is, the vulnerability is causing some defensiveness. So how do you overcome that? You're like, oh my God. I laid out everything to you and I'm getting, and I'm getting back now defensiveness. Uh-huh. So I don't want to be vulnerable anymore because now I see now it's causing another negative in terms of communication.
0: Well, I mean, again, if I'm working with two people, I ask them both to consider that they need to work on themselves in some fashion so that it doesn't become uneven in that way. Cause one of the saddest things in my experience as a therapist is that one person heals a lot of their trauma and becomes much more connected to themselves and their partner doesn't, and it it can be a really serious problem because the the person that's working on themselves changes their way that they um, communicate and what they want, and the other person's used to things being a certain way, so um, I've seen some relationships actually come to an end under those circumstances.
1: I, I think about so many people and relationships that I've seen in my life that If they just would have communicated, they'd still be together. They'd still be happy. Things would, you know, things would have worked out. But so many marriages have broken up because things just went unsaid Uh for so long that there was no going back. And it's sad because I feel like for a lot of those, it could have been fixed if there would have been some work done. If they were
0: brave enough to take the chance of being vulnerable. Yeah. There's a guy who does a lot of research on relationships and how you can tell whether a relationship is hopeless or not. And the main thing that he has identified is that if you feel disdain for your partner, mm-hmm. once it reaches that level where you actually disdain the other person, there's no coming much, back. There's no coming yeah. back from disdain. Yeah, um, I've worked with people that have had affairs and all that sort of stuff, and and um, sometimes you can recover from that. It's a really hard thing to recover from because the person feels so betrayed, and that that you know as long as you don't get to the place where you disdain each other, you can f- try to find your way back to each other. Cause sometimes uh, love gets buried underneath resentment. Mm-hmm. So if you deal with the resentment, sometimes the love comes back in a really big way. But if you allow the love to be, uh, to die, right? it's like th- a person. You can't bring a person back to life again. And you can't bring a relationship back to life if you've allowed th- the love to die.
2: Well, it's like the cliche of the, the vegetable garden or the flower garden, right? When yeah. the flower dies, it, not putting more water on it, it's not coming back. No, yeah.
0: and the saddest thing, again, what I, that I see is that people believe that relationships should sustain themselves on their own.
1: Oh, no. Oh, right? <laughs> no. Oh, no. No, I hear that all the time. <laughs> like, if oh, I have to work a, on it, isn't that it means called a partnership? Well, but,
0: but again, Kim, I swear to you, a lot of really capable people believe that if you have to work on it, that means that there's a problem. And I say, well, when you go to work, do you work at work, or do you just sit there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so common to feel like you like it takes effort in everything other than a love relationship.
1: And it's the most important thing you're doing in this lifetime.
0: Well, that's my opinion. I'm a little biased, but I do agree with you. Yeah, that...
1: it's relationship. It's the relationship, and if yeah, you have to work on it. You have to.
0: So again, what gives you the courage to do that?
1: Just knowing that it's the most important thing in my life is my relationship. And that
0: overcomes your fear? Pardon me? It overcomes your fear to tell yourself that?
1: Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And, and, you know, again, like doing the therapy and getting older and really understanding who I am and how I've contributed in in a negative way. Mm -hmm. But it really, I mean, I just, you know, I always do this stupid like deathbed test, like, on my deathbed, what what do I what regrets do I want to have? What do I want to be remembered for? What do I want to have intact? So, I think about that. Am I perfect? Am I not yelling at my husband sometimes? I absolutely am. But it's just it is the most important work that we're doing in this lifetime. Because if your relationship is not working, nothing else is working.
0: Well, that's true. I mean, I've worked I've worked with people that have, as an example, more money than you could ever imagine, and they're miserable because of the loneliness and the isolation, you know, that they live
2: with. Yeah. You said something else when you were talking about vulnerability uh, that Justine had actually talked about earlier in the podcast, was about knowing yourself. And, yeah. and I know that this could be a three, four, four, five, 10-hour conversation on, on that, and we'll talk about that later on, but maybe quickly talk about knowing yourself, what that means.
0: Well, I think that what it means is is having the courage to understand, I mean, who you are on the deepest of levels, and that um, we're all... Warts and all. Yeah, we're all complex, <laughs> but we're all simple at the same time. And um, I, I'm not sure exactly how to answer that question because it, it involves, in my opinion, it involves a lifetime of devotion toward... Uh, wanting to n- evolve and know who you are as a person I don't think it's something that happens very very quickly um because you know most of us are afraid to admit who we are deep down inside we're afraid to admit we need other people or you know afraid to admit that that we don't feel strong
2: all the time and so so i'll ask I'll ask both of you this question if if you don't know who you are yeah will the relationship, a long-term relationship, survive or even evolve if you don't know who you are?
1: I think, I mean, I, yeah, I think people can fake their fake their way through life. I mean, I think there are plenty of relationships where people don't know who they are and they stay married. I don't know if they're happily married or if they they have a connection with their partner, but I think there are more people walking this planet that don't know who they are and haven't done the work and are, you know, living a seemingly okay life. So I think you can go on not necessarily knowing who you are. I think knowing who you are can give a lot more meaning to your life and to your partner's life. And I think that's really the difference. But yeah, heck yes. I know a lot of relationships where they're just going through it day by day. I think that's also why you see a lot of divorces when kids leave home because now it's like, oh my gosh. We have to
2: look at each other and talk to each yeah, other. Yeah, what
1: are we gonna talk about now? Like we have eighteen years, we didn't talk about anything, and now we're sitting here with the dog, what are we gonna talk about? So yeah, I think that I think it can they can survive just fine, unfortunately, I guess.
2: If like Justine said, if it was one of the most important things to you in life, your relationship with your with your partner, wouldn't you wanna get the most out of it?
0: Well, it depends where your center is, Kim, because you and I have talked a lot about whether you're externally centered in the world or whether Next you are it. not self-centered, because again, I always want to make the the, the uh, make it clear that I'm not an advocate of being self-centered because that's obnoxious, <laughs> but I am an advocate of being centered within yourself. And in order to know yourself, you have to be willing to shift your focus from blaming the world and looking at the world as being the, the reason why you're not, in quotes, happy in your life or satisfied and understand that, that being centered in yourself doesn't come without having to know the pain that lives inside of you, the joy that lives inside of you, all the different aspects of life. And it's really scary to approach life from that perspective because you don't get to be, in quotes, happy all the time if you let yourself feel what it is that's happening inside of you.
1: And then you medicate. Exactly. With alcohol yeah. or Much easier dri- than Yeah, much easier and much more fun sometimes. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't think we have to be centered in our feelings 24 hours a day. <laughs> There's Just some occasional the euphoria from that. <laughs> <That's> right. right.
2: <laughs> so, okay, so we've talked about active listening, we've talked about vulnerability, knowing yourself. Is there more in terms of communication?
0: Um, I think it takes a lot of courage. And, and if you shift your focus away from thinking that relationships are self-sustaining and understand that, that, again, instead of trying to change your partner, which is how a lot of relationships get started in the first place, as we talked about in the rescue fantasy, um, it's so much more common for people to believe that their partner is going to change and, and that that's going to make the relationship better. Because again, I think we all believe we're experts at each other. Uh, And don't really realize that the chances of a person changing who they are are pretty much slim and none. You can change your behavior and you can change how you live in the world, but you can't really change your essence. It, It remains pretty constant throughout your life. So if you're in a relationship with somebody who's a, uh, a pain in the ass and impossible to deal with, and you think that person's going to change over the course of time, I would say good luck with that one because yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I, yeah.
2: I can break that horse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know I can.
0: Well, how many people have you seen that go from relationship to relationship and they don't notice, although everybody around them notices that they just found the same person in another body?
2: Yeah. Because
0: they, they didn't really understand what they contributed to the downfall of the relationship that they're leaving. Yeah. So they just find the same person in a different skin.
2: Well, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't admit that I didn't fall into that similar pattern of if I just did this, or I made this amount of money, or I bought this, things would If I had kids, things are going to change. Well, I mean, isn't that the society we we live in? Yeah, it changes for the moment, but reality always will catch you. So what brought
0: that to an end for
2: you? Realizing that going through that multiple times produced the same result, which wasn't the positive result or or the change that I thought was going to happen. It just brought it back to reality, that it it isn't going to change. And so you realize that you you can run from reality for a while, but eventually it's going to catch you. And do you want to still keep running, or are you tired of running? And so if you're tired of running, then you better figure out how to to change yourself and know yourself and then either pick the right partner or or get help if you're with a partner that you're thinking is going to change and and see if it's viable.
0: Well, you're bringing up a good point, Kim, in that I don't want people to think that – you should be looking for a relationship that has absolutely no problems at all because that's absurd. You'll be alone forever. Right. Because that doesn't exist. No. Is, that so the, is that the
2: unicorn relationship
0: that we all
1: <laughs> We're talked in about? we a drought yes. here in California. The grass is not greener. Right.
0: <laughs> so the hard part is discriminating between what, you know, theoretically is possible for people to come to terms with and what is just who they are as a person. And I, again, I know that that can sound confusing, but it's really important to know that your essence doesn't change, even though your behavior can.
1: And you said something one time that I've thought about a lot, and that is, and I think, I think it's, we, it has such a negative connotation in our society. But you said, you know, in a partnership, you depend on that person, and that's Okay. Like, that's, that's the connection. You don't have to do everything. And it's, it's okay to depend on someone. And it's okay for that person to depend on you. And I feel like we don't do that enough. I think we've just, you know, brought up, like, we're going to take care of ourselves. And that's the way it is. But depending on someone is the most vulnerable, the most beautiful thing that you could do. And it's really difficult.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that um, that's why we're taught to be ashamed of it. So if you just don't have to go there, then you don't have to risk the um, the potential rejection or the potential loss of that person.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, it's like Justine said, I think it became popular over the last couple of decades that individualism trumped anything, right? right. That you shouldn't have to depend on anybody, right? You should just be able to depend on yourself and you can take care of your problems. And we have we went away from dependency becoming a healthy thing to dependency being a, a bad thing in, in life where... Like we had talked about in a podcast before, and you eloquently stated that they can have healthy dependency. And that's really the basis of a great relationship. Right.
0: Well, I only know from my own experience that if I think about it, um, I'm extremely dependent on my wife for a multitude of things, my emotional security, all kinds of stuff. I'm extremely dependent on my relationship with God and my spiritual life. I don't want to live without that connection i can imagine what life would be like now that it feels comfortable to be dependent in that way i'm super dependent on all the doctors that i need in order to keep myself upright (laughs) which i wish i didn't have to be but sadly uh literally and figuratively upright (laughs) i've been left with very little choice if i want to stay alive i got to have a team of, uh, of medical professionals to keep me going um, and I'm really dependent on other people to learn what I need to learn in the world. I can't learn it in a vacuum. So I don't understand why it's such a negative thing when it enhances our life, or at least, it, you know, theoretically could if you're brave enough to let it be.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: being the single person in, in this conversation here, even in my mind still, thinking about potentially a future partner and being... Dependent or having that dependency that you both probably feel with your partners in, in more of a healthy way scares the absolute shit out of me.
0: Why does it feel frightening?
2: I don't. I don't know. Maybe because I've been single for so long now, and that the way that I was brought up, and in, in kind of not being able to depend on my parents, or in and kind of that again going back to that familiar unhealthy pattern in my head, actually being vulnerable enough. Just to think that I'm going to be dependent on somebody else.
1: In your past relationships, were you dependent?
2: Yeah. You know, that's a good that's a good question. I I don't. I think I had one foot in and one foot out. I think I believed in that you know, that traditional true partnership model and and wanted that and maybe fantasized a lot about that and had that foot in, but I also had the foot out. Thinking that, yeah, potentially would work, but probably not going to work. So I'm going to maintain that sense of individualism and then I can still take care of myself. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I've ever been two feet in Mm -hmm. on the dependency um, on, on a partner. Piece. Um,
0: You know, again, you've talked a lot about approaching relationships from a rescue fantasy perspective. So I'm not sure if you realize that, that yeah, is I'm, done, a, I'm done with that. That's a form. <laughs> but that's a form of unhealthy dependency because you're depending on the other person being the problem and spending most of your time trying to solve that problem so that you don't necessarily have to show up and really expose who you are deep down inside. So it is a way of managing your own shame without realizing that that's part of as part of the insurance policy you get when you find somebody that needs to be
2: rescued. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the, the question I asked you about knowing yourself, right? Because I didn't know myself, right? I was, and like Justine said, you know, you can act your way through anything, and I was re- a really good actor, right? And I could be the chameleon, and I could change colors, and I could be anything you wanted me to be, but it didn't sit well with me. But I could, I could do it, right? Mm-hmm. Until like we were talking about, it got to a point where, okay, this isn't working for me anymore and I'm really tired of doing it, right? So I actually had to, for the first time in my life, figure out who I am, understand who I am and and be okay with that before I could go forward.
0: But part of being okay with it is taking uh, responsibility. uh, Yeah, but also being brave enough to um, show that part of yourself to another person, Which is the part that's super scary. Because what if they don't like you? Or what if they find you lacking? Or what if they think that there's something wrong with you?
2: Oh, I still, I I mean, I still, I still have that, right? I still have that, you know, we we were talking about this before we started recording, right? That I still have a little bit of that in the back of my mind that I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. Why would somebody want to be with me? Squirrel doesn't show up for lunch. Yeah, that figures, right? That's just, you know, my lot in life. I'm just never going to find love. The difference is now, though, that, that I can recenter myself rather quickly on that and understand, okay, that's a that's a narrative that I told myself in the past, but that's not who I am anymore. And so I can get out of my head and put myself back to center rather quickly in that now. So well, I that mean, that's a sign that... Uh... And, 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 you know, I have clarity. I have clarity of, of not only who I want in my life, but what that feels like, right? So I know now when it doesn't feel right, that it's not right.
1: That's a big step.
2: Yeah, it is. A, it is a big step. And, you know, it, it, it took multitude of decades to get there. But like I've told people before, I mean, just because somebody got there before you doesn't mean you won't ever get there, right? You're you know, as long as you get there and do the work. So, you know
0: somebody who's gotten there. <laughs> well, I don't know if the, I don't know if there's
2: the, the, again. I don't want to say there's ever a finish line because I think Justine, you know, said it early that you know I'm a, I'm a work in progress. I think we're all a work in progress as long as we're doing the work. Yep. So yeah. So anyway, so we talk about uh, you were talking about courage. Um, we talked about active listening. We've talked about vulnerability. Talked about knowing yourself. Uh, is there a, another key to that keychain in in terms of of good communication with a loved one?
0: I think respect is super important. Right. Yeah, that. Uh, I'm,
1: no, ahead. I was just gonna say kindness. I mean, just kindness and respect. It's just thinking about the other person, thinking about their feelings, just showing up with an open heart. I think it's really important, even when you don't want to, which is the hardest time. But uh, yeah, I mean, respect is huge. So I I think all of those things. Uh,
0: When my wife and I are at odds with each other, the first thing I try to remember is who would I rather live with, given the choice, her or me? (laughs) And it's a really, really easy choice. (laughs) I would way rather live with her than me.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask both of you that that question, so it was a good segue, is that you know, you're not happy with your partner all the time or vice versa, right? So in those, in those moments um, where there's discourse, um, communication generally breaks down because one side's defensive and we've talked about finger pointing and, and blaming and so on and so forth. So when you're, and, and again, it goes back to previous episodes and I think a couple of our guests have, have mentioned never going to bed mad. Uh, that has a, a certain context to it, but never going to bit mad. So how do you deal with the situation? And, in in like you, like we were talking about with respect when you're not happy with your partner, they, they've hurt your feelings. They've said something that's pissed you off. They've done something that's pissed you off. So how do you get through that? Like we've talked about, some people just walk away and, and you know, they, they see him in the kitchen the next morning, there's nothing spoken until it just, kind of calms down and then you you go back to your life and that's just not a healthy thing either
0: i think that um it's really important to be able to express your feelings but to do it in a, a respectful way because i'm stunned at how people uh, communicate sometimes in terms of the things that they say to each other it's just amazing to me that you would tell somebody that you love you know to fuck off or whatever uh instead of finding a way to do it in a gentle manner uh with some respect because um, I don't think anybody ever forgets the things that are said to them ever. So even though we're taught, you know, that, you know, what you say is not that big of a deal and you said it in the moment of in the heat of the anger or whatever, I've yet to meet somebody that doesn't have those things in the back of their mind.
1: No, I call them chinks in the armor. Yeah. You can have a disagreement and not agree on something, but if there's chinks in the armor where it's, you know, it's gone below the belt or where it's, Those things aren't, those things you do remember forever. And so it's like we don't have chinks in armor. We can disagree, but let's be respectful, even if we're angry. Um, What I've found for us is, and I've had to learn this kind of similarly to you, is I. I want to solve things. Like if we're having a disagreement, like I, like, no, 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 we're going to talk until this is (laughs) finished. And my husband is not, he needs to walk away. Uh He needs to process. And you know, the reality is it's better that way because I'm in the heat. He needs to like, just kind of deal with it on his own, own way. And then we come back together and you know, sometimes we don't, sometimes it, It doesn't get swept under the rug, but sometimes there isn't always a big conversation about it. Sometimes we go to bed mad and sometimes the next day we just, you know, depending on how big of an argument it was, we talk about it or we don't. But I've had to learn that like we are not, you know, not everything is going to be solved in this minute when we're both just at a 10 on what we're upset about. And, you know, I really try to just, I think about, okay, He's annoying or whatever, (laughs) but it's like, let let me just lead with my heart a little bit. And how is he seeing this? And so if I can calm down and rationalize that to myself, then I can do that. I am not perfect at it. And like I said, we go to bed mad sometimes, Um, but it's also sort of the fundamental knowing that like, he is my person and that's, that's the bottom line. And we're going to disagree and he's going to drive me crazy and vice versa. But at the end of the day, he's my person.
2: I think you pointed out something relevant here is that there is no cookie cutter methodology. I mean, we're, we're talking about the basics of communication, which works for most people, right? But you and your husband have a certain dynamic. You've been together. I'm always right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You guys have been together long enough that you, you should know each other pretty well, right? Yeah. So like you said that, you know, certain couples have this, you know, thing that they don't go to bed mad. Right. You, you guys do it, but you guys have figured it out though at, at that point, right? I mean, like you said, not every fight needs an hour long discussion to, to, to kind of figure it out that certain things have already been said. Sleeping dogs lie. We move on from it. Yeah. Right, So you understand your dynamic, your husband understands your dynamic, and it works for you.
1: And you know what works when we do want to solve something is um, either he'll say something really funny, which just breaks the ice, or we'll connect physically. He'll give me a hug, I'll give him a hug, we'll just, you know, wrap our arms around each other, and you can, all that madness just kind of goes away. And it's hard to do but it's, it's astonishing how it just dissipates everything. So I highly recommend that. <laughs> and if your husband's funny, that helps. <laughs> that does
0: help. Um, <laughs> there is something I want to bring up before we run out of time, and that is alcohol.
2: we got plenty of time, by the way.
0: Um, alcohol has never helped any relationship,
2: in my experience. Uh, I mean, you talk about alcohol or any substance in that way? N- Subs- alcohol, or just alcohol more mostly? than any
0: other substance, you know. People don't, when they when they use marijuana, they don't, generally speaking, they'd want to be a slug and just kind of sit around. It doesn't create a lot of conflict. But alcohol, uh, every time I, I talk to people that d- decide to have a conversation of meaning after they've had something to drink, it reminds me of those videos you see of people that old uh, barbecues with the car charcoal and they stand there with the lighter uh, fluid. fluid. <laughs> and the flame keeps getting <laughs> higher and higher and <laughs> yeah, higher and yeah, higher. Yeah. And the, you know, and eventually it explodes right. because alcohol is an accelerant. It does nobody any favors in any way when you're trying to have a conversation uh, about anything that's important. So I tell people all the time, you know, you can drink as much as you want, but you have to forbid yourself to have a conversation of importance under the influence because that's when things go really badly. Because people think that they're being uh, kind or whatever, and they have no idea how much... Coherent. Yeah, and they have no idea how much their personality changes with just one... They're not drunk. They're just one beer or one cocktail. They're not drunk at all, but their personality changes big time. And, and
1: what's probably happened is they've had something that they wanted to say, uh-huh. then they have a drink, and they get the courage to say it. So yeah. already there's all this angst about the conversation, and I see it all the time. Yeah,
0: So you might as well just blow up the barbecue and that'll save you <laughs> a lot of trouble <laughs> because it's not going to
2: help. Yeah, The alcohol yeah. is going to give you a full on raging brush fire. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and it does
0: almost every time. And I, 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 I mean, I'm i joking about it because it's it, it just seems so absurd to me that people would try to solve their problems when they're under the influence. Yeah. But, th- uh, you know, like you say, <laughs> well, sometimes it's the only time people are willing to talk to each other. Yeah, it's like Justine
2: yeah. said, it's liquid courage, right? Right. Yeah. So you know you want an icebreaker. Have a couple drinks, right? But don't have a but don't have but don't have a conversation (laughs) that that involves uh, life's uh, intimacies.
0: Well, and it worries me a little bit sometimes. And I again we're slightly off the subject, but people use MDMA as an example to enhance their love connection with each other. Um, And in the moment when you're under the influence of that drug, it makes everything seem so lovely and wonderful, and it really does make you feel, you know, like you're on the top of the world and that and that you just love everybody and everything. And it makes me a little bit nervous because once you come off the drug, nothing has changed right. other than the fact that you maybe had a fun time. I don't know. Uh, um, but it creates a false sense of intimacy, in my opinion. Now I'm going to get a lot of slack from, from, or a lot of grief from We people. We
2: are going to have the MDMA episode coming up. so right.
0: right. But anyways, I I just think that it's really important if you want to have a really deep conversation with someone to try to be as sober as you can. That's really what I'm trying to say. Because that really messes up communication. Even if you think it's making it better, it's really not.
2: So the three of us all have children. Dana, yours being older, Justine and I still have teenagers. Right. The three of us were were brought up with families that weren't good communicators in, in, in different different ways so we didn't really have this this baseline to operate from going in and you know trial by fire it's like i said you have an academic phd i have a phd from the school of hard knocks um so how do you guys communicate with your kids or do you communicate with your kids in terms of because even even justine and i having teenagers Potential in dating or having people that they're interested in. And and obviously, Dana, you have a daughter that's married and and a son that's in a long term relationship. And have you guys had conversations with your children about communicating with um, loved ones in their life?
0: Do you mind if I go first? No. Um, When my kids were little, really little, sometimes we would take a bath together and they really liked that because the water's warm and we're having fun. But obviously it gets to a certain point where it starts feeling really awkward because bathtub's way too small <laughs> right? so I decided or that your that kids would, get a little too uh, old oh, right so uh, my solution to that was to get a hot tub ah. and so every evening we would all go in the hot tub together, just me and my children, my wife didn't go because uh, uh chemicals in the hot tub bothered her, so I got a chance every night when my kids were growing up to talk about life and feelings and all that stuff and I am not a performance oriented person with my kids. So I wasn't interested in how well they were doing in school and um, how well they were excelling in their performance at sports or whatever. I would ask them a million questions. Why do you think your friends act like that? Or what do you think makes people do this or do that or whatever? And because the water's warm and they're relaxed, I didn't have to give them a cocktail in order to loosen them (laughs) up a little bit. And so, um, it got to the point where if I didn't feel like going in the hot tub, they would get really mad at me because they looked forward to us That's hanging so nice. out all the way until they were
2: teenagers. You may be the only parent that your kids were actually looking forward to having a conversation oh, with you. So My lovely.
1: kids won't get in the hot tub with us. They yeah, won't even go in the yeah. pool <laughs> if yes. we're
0: there. When they were younger, they might have. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and so I indoctrinated them into the notion that it's really important to be in touch with your feelings and that your feelings are the basis of reality and that it's really important to not just look at people's behavior as an indication of what's real, but to try to figure out what they might be feeling that could generate that behavior. Mm-hmm. Like that there's a bully or, you know, as an yeah. example, the bullies are usually the scaredest it's people scary. in the whole room. Yeah. And that underneath their bravado is a really scared, vulnerable little kid. And, and I, you know, I just tried to help them understand. So that was my uh, solution to that dilemma was to make sure that I provided an environment that um, that they really wanted to
2: participate in.
1: And how, is, how are they today? Are they pretty in touch with their feelings and understanding and communicating? Knowing
2: they both listen to the podcast, by the way. So. <laughs> and
1: help well, out.
0: My, my daughter and I have a very sweet relationship. She's always been daddy's girl, and we're super close. And, and um, I really enjoy being connected to her. My son and I have a really lovely relationship also, but it's slightly different because he's a, a, a man and my daughter and I are very similar in ways that my wife and my son are. My son loves to travel, and he thinks the world is his oyster. To, and I'm a super homebody, just like my daughter. So the,
2: yeah, I'm coming back as Sean in my next life, by
0: yeah, the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My son being in the South Pacific surfing right now, oh. my daughter will be living in Goleta. I mean, that should tell you. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's a little bit different based on who they are, but um, we have, we're super close, and I would love it more than anything if my kids lived next door. Yeah. I don't want them to live in my house. Yeah. But I'd be really happy if I could afford a compound where we all live together, but have our own separate private lives.
2: So, but as their father, do you feel though that they are effective communicators, not in their relationships and in life?
0: Uh, yes, but I will say that with some reservation, because I don't know that they're as psychologically minded as I am. Okay. Because their lives are not in the mental health field. Right. And so they're, they're not steeped in it every day all the time. But we talk about stuff all the time. And, you know, if they ever have questions, I'm, uh, you know, I feel like we have a really close relationship.
2: How about your kids, Justine?
1: So this is really interesting to me because I feel like a lot of this is nature versus nurture where both of my children are completely different communicators. My son came out of the womb telling you everything. I can ask him anything and he will tell me, even if he doesn't want to tell me. Um, He's just, he's kind of an open book. Um, With my daughter, she came out of the womb like with her hands over her heart and she keeps things in a lot more. It's really hard for her to express her feelings. And so as the parent, I have to treat that differently based on sort of who they are. So it's, I think probably going through life, I think that they'll probably always be a little bit like that. And I'm kind of like that where I don't always share every feeling I have where my husband is a little bit more emotional and shares his stuff a little bit more. So I see why they are like that, but it's something that I think that they'll both have to work on in their own ways. And I've tried to do something similar to Dana is where, you know, if, there was a girl sitting by herself the other day at the volleyball court and I was like oh gosh I felt so bad she you know she wasn't sitting with you guys and they're like oh well you know she's she's fine you know her friends are there and I'm like yeah but think about how she felt like she's you guys are all together and she's by herself so I always try to just do the same thing where it's like think about how that person felt versus like how that person is acting and you know I I hope they kind of get that message, and it's just about, you know, being kind to others. But I, I think that they'll probably have their own forms of how much they communicate, kind of based on who they are, regardless of how much of an influence I can make.
2: Yeah, I think I think you make an important differentiation there between nature and nurture, right? Um, because you have the antithesis of each other, and one right. that will tell you everything, and one's a little close to the vest. And there's nothing wrong with either one of those, right? Right. So uh, you think it's important as as parents is to kind of nurture who they are because you brought up, you know, it's your essence, right? You're born with this essence. It kind of continues with you all throughout life. So it's important for us as parents to kind of nurture that essence about them and so they'll communicate within that essence.
0: I think it's the hardest thing for most parents to understand is that their children are not them and that they're different separate people, and they don't always want to embrace the values and live the life that you believe that they should, and not to, be, uh, not to take the fear that you have about that and turn it into trying to control them, to be aggressive about it. Because if I've learned anything um, from my kids is that they're not me, and they don't see the world the way I do. They certainly weren't raised the way that I was raised. None of them, I mean, neither of them have suffered the kind of abuse and difficulty that I had as a kid, so they've had a much easier time just living in the world and have not been subject to some of the things that I've had to come to terms with. And so why should I expect them to be like me? And I try to take as much delight in them as I can, even though sometimes I do not understand the choices <laughs> they make. And I think to myself, wait a minute, are these my kids?
1: Yeah. And just-
0: because, they're you know, they're separate people.
2: Well, you have some Gen X kids. I have, we have some Gen Z kids, right? Communication has completely changed now from the time that the three of us were raised, where we didn't have smartphones, we didn't have Snapchat, we didn't have social media, right? That there was one telephone in the house and, you know, you were hoping your mom and dad didn't answer it if your boyfriend or girlfriend called, right? right? At that point, so... I agree with that statement is that we want our kids to be more like us and to kind of understand that we've been through things in life, but that's just not going to be happen or, or it's going to be realistic, right? Because our younger kids now are, are raised to communicate differently, right? There isn't, the phone's really not a phone, right? The phone is used to, to take pictures of yourself and, and, and Snapchat. And that's their form of communicating with each other. So, it's hard for me now as a parent in trying to listen to my kids, and 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 I'm probably like both of you. I have one that will pretty much tell me everything, and I have one that I ask him, "How's football practice?" He goes, "Yeah, I don't know." I said, "I just, <laughs> I, you just literally got in the car." He goes, "Yeah, I don't know," you know, and that's that that's pretty much what it what I get out of him. Yeah. And if it's even a verbal response, sometimes it's it's a, like a look of why are you talking to me. <laughs> You know, drive, and and I get that right because I was probably that kid that didn't ever want to talk to his parents for for probably some of the right reasons actually, but anyway, um, so trying to hold back and trying to like you say nurture actually who they are and to to try and at least instill some healthy habits in them and communicating, boy, it's a it's a uh, it's a slippery slope.
0: It's a tough one. Well, especially. Your kids, uh, they love their cell phones, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: How much does that drive you crazy that they could live connected to their cell It's phones?
1: Yes. It drives me very crazy. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, my son just started dating this girl that literally he just communicated with online for three, four months and went to her house for the first time Thursday because he got his license so I don't I think he wanted to wait till he got that <laughs> show up in the car and I was like so was it weird like you've been like sending pictures and talking and for three four months and then you just walk in like what do you guys say to each other he's like no it wasn't weird at all you're weird <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it's just a completely different way
2: yeah and we're, we're having a dating expert on um soon and 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 in talking to her prior to the podcast and kind of looking at how she deals with her clients. It's like I even think that the older generation has lost touch in in terms of effective communicating because I I look at her stuff and how she deals with her clients and I go, you've got to be fucking kidding me, that you have to teach a 40-year-old. They ask you, what should we talk about on a date? You know, and I think when, you know, even... for for even in, in, at my age, you know, how how do you meet people? I don't have a problem meeting people, but most people are on online on dating apps. Right. right? Yeah. And so you're not really talking to them. It's the same. I was thinking about that as you were talking about how your son had this relationship for for months, you know, online before, you know, he met the girl type thing in in terms of that. But I, I don't even think that's any different than if he's 16 or 56 at this point. Right. And I think we've lost our way in terms of how to communicate with each other, even as adults.
1: Well, and attention span. I mean, it's just, it's it's fast, 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 fast. So, like, how much can you really communicate if you're sending a picture or you're sending a snap? Well, it's all like, transactional. Right, right. That's it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, anyway, we're, we're bumping up against the hour here. And uh, I, I think it's been a really good conversation in, in terms of of what communication needs to be, what communication should be. So I'm going to ask you two to kind of, if you have some closing thoughts or, or, or last statements that you want to make on this topic.
0: I just want to thank Justine for her willingness to come and help us out.
1: Oh, it's nice. Because um,
0: it adds, I think it adds a lot to have of your perspective. A hundred percent.
1: Oh, thank you. So
0: I just want to let you know how much I appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you. It. I like coming. It's nice. I don't have anything to add other than, I mean, communication is the crux of life. And if we can get that right in our relationships, we're going to be okay.
0: I pretty much feel the same way that um, it takes a lot of courage. But if you can find the courage, it's going to open up a whole different way of living in the world.
2: And and I'm going to repeat what we always say. Folks, there's no magic wand. There's no magic fairy dust. You got to do the work. You got to know yourself before you know somebody else. Right. So do the work. All right, Justine, we'll have you back soon. Sounds good. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, you guys.
0: We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.